And this month, this year is rolling right along. And man, we're excited to be here. Christmas will be almost here. You know, the other day Camden was like, can we listen to Christmas music? I said, sure, why not? So we were riding to school listening to Christmas music. It's almost that time. They have Christmas decorations in the store anyway. So you might as well go ahead and start playing the Christmas music. Yeah, get the jingle bells out and everything. But man, I'm excited to be here with you guys this morning. Thank you for tuning in online. Man, we just started a new sermon series last week called Move That Mountain. Y'all say, Move That Mountain. And last week, so pretty much this whole series talking about Move That Mountain, we're dealing with areas in our lives, things in our lives that we have to speak to the mountain and command it to move. And our key verse for this entire uh, series, sermon series is from Mark chapter 11, verse 23. It says, I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. That is our key verse for this sermon series, because we believe that if you speak to the mountain or whatever it is, whatever it is in your life, and you truly believe that would happen, that that mountain of that area will be removed from your life. Amen. So that's what this whole sermon series is about. And last week, we talked about moving the mountain of pride. And pride, boy, that is a big one. And all of us deal with pride. And if you say you don't deal with pride, that's pride, and you need to repent of your pride. But you can go back to our Facebook page. You can uh, watch online on that, or you can download our app and listen to the sermon series. Or you can, if you have Spotify, go to Spotify. We have a podcast on Spotify that has all of our messages there. So you can listen to it at work, in your car, whatever you want to do. But I encourage you to go back and listen to that message on pride. But this is week two, and we move in ahead. Let's just open up in a word of prayer, and we'll go ahead and get started. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word, that it brings life, that it brings truth, that it brings correction, that it brings healing, Lord God, that it reveals all truth by the Holy Spirit. And I thank you that you're in the, our midst today. Open up our hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so, how many of you know the comedian Sinbad? Anybody know Sinbad? Sinbad's pretty old school. But I like Sinbad because he's clean. He don't have a lot of cur- he don't curse in his stuff, so it's clean. He- he's clean. But in the early 90s, he had a uh, comedy special called Afro and Bell Bottoms. How many of you ever saw that one? Afro and Bell Bottoms. Tomorrow's the only one. You have to watch it. It's pretty funny. So the whole point of the comedy special is he's talking about growing up in the 70s, how life was growing up in the 70s. And one particular uh, story that he told was he and his friends decided that they had this big party that they wanted to go to. And they were like, everybody's curfew was 12 o'clock. And they were at the party. The party was just at at the height, and everybody was excited. And it was like, you know, when it gets the time close to your curfew, you got to make that decision. It's like, are we going to go home? Are we going to stay out? Because, like, if we stay out, you know it's going to be trouble. But if we go home, we'll be all right. And he said, that's where you got to make that decision. It's like, well, we just go ahead and stay out. And he said, and kids, I want to tell you something. If you're going to stay out late, don't take a 1230 butt whooping. Take a 5 a.m. butt whooping. <laughs> just stay up all night. It's like, if, if, you go, if it's going to be worth it, just make it worth it. And so he was talking about how he and his friends, they stayed out all night and they delirious and they laughing, man, we our parents going to kill us. And they dapping each other up and they having fun. Let's go get something to eat. 
and then they go get something to eat, and then they looking outside, the sun coming up, the sun coming up. And then they said it didn't get real until they were on their way home. And then they're like, okay, man, drop me off at home first. You, you, you could go ahead and dro just drop me off at home. Come on, man. Come on, man. Stop playing. Drop me off at home first. And then they get home, and then their parents there, and then that's when the reality of what they've done has kind of sunk in. But I was thinking about that story, and as funny as it is, that's kind of how sin does. Sin, you feel like, man, this is so much fun. I'm having a great time doing all my sin and having fun, but at some point, the reality of what you're doing sinks in. And then it gets you like, what in the world have I done? What, what, how did I get in this place trapped of sin? Because sin seems like it's fun for a season, but guess what? It always ends in death. May not be a physical death, but a death of something, death of your emotions, death of your future, death of your purpose, death of relationships. But it always ends in the death of something. So today, the mountain that we're going to talk about moving today is the mountain of sin. Y'all say the mountain of sin. And, and as always, the notes are on the app. You can follow along on the app. You can take notes along with that. But just write that down. We're talking about today, week two, and move that mountain. We're talking about moving the mountain of sin. And this is the verse that we're going to reference today uh, for our guide. It comes from 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through 10. And it says, I'm reading out of the NLT. It says, this is the message we heard from Jesus, and now we declare to you, God is light. Say, God is light. And there is no darkness in him at all. So God is light. There is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God and go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. Help me, Jesus. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Amen. Amen. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Hallelujah. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Man, that's a heavy passage right there. But thank you, Jesus, for the price that he played on this cross. When we were talking about communion earlier, there's a way for us to escape all of this. It's a way for all of us to escape sin. So don't feel like this is about to be a doom and gloom message. This is a message of hope. This is a message of hope that says you can get free from the bondage of sin Today, all you have to do is believe that that mountain of sin can be what? Cast into the sea. And if you truly believe it, the mountain of sin can be removed from your life this morning. Amen? Y'all want to go a little bit deeper? Yeah. Let's go. So you can write this down. What needs to be brought into the light? Because it says God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So if we know if God lives in the, in the light, then there's things in our lives that live in the dark. So if we need to expose those things in the dark and bring it to the light, because if we could bring it to the light, then Jesus has access to say, you know what? Let me take that mountain of sin and let me throw it away. Let me remove it for your life. But as long as we remain in the dark, we can't bring it to the light and we can't get free from it. Amen. 
So again, this, this message is a message of hope. Say, I'm hopeful this morning. So what's the first thing that needs to be brought to the light? Write this down. First thing that needs to be brought to the light is willful disobedience. Willful disobedience. That's the first thing that needs to be brought to the light. So you say, well, what is willful disobedience? That's just when you live your life the way you want to live it. I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. You can't tell me how to live my life because I'm going to do what I want to do because I'm the captain of my ship. I'm the, the whatever all the other stuff that people say. But this is my life. I do what I want to do. YOLO, you only live once, so I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to have fun. That's willful disobedience. Just regardless of what the word says, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. But as a pastor, and not even as a pastor, as a believer, this verse right here that I'm about to read, if you really think about it, boy, it should bring a holy fear on you. Because everybody loves to say, well, God is love. And God is so forgiving. And God would never punish those that he loves. Yes, he will. And with that in mind, let's read Galatians chapter 5, verse 9 through 21. And this is New Testament. This is not Old Testament where everything was doom and gloom. This is New Testament. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. It says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. So he didn't just stop to say that all these that he mentioned. He said, in all sins like other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will what? Will not inherit the kingdom of God. But I thought God is love. He is love. But he says clearly right here in his word, if a person is living this sort of lifestyle, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And for some people, that's hard to understand. So what do you mean? I can't have fun? You mean, but what's wrong with having a little fun every now and then? Because you know people, got, you got to have something in your life. You got to do something to have a little fun. It says clearly, if you live this sort of lifestyle, what is the result? You will not inherit the kingdom of God. But how many people, if you ask them, if you die right now, will you go to heaven? Heaven. What makes you, what makes you think that? Because I believe in God. That's true, but you got to do a little bit more than that. You have to follow him. And these things that we talked about, willful disobedience, this is the world's culture. Those things that we just read, that's the world's culture. And you can't practice the world's culture and expect to be a faithful follower of Christ. You just can't do it. You can't say, I'm going to live any type of way that I want to live, but I'm a faithful follower of Christ. It doesn't work that way. Because eventually the world's culture will take you out, and the things that you want to pursue in God, they will see like, well, that's trivial. It's, it's not that important. I, 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 I'll just, you know what, i just rather live the life that I want to. We have to repent from our sinful nature, and you can't truly say that you're saved and continue to live, live like the things that we just read. When we do, we deceive ourselves and keep living like this. 
If you keep on living like this and saying that you're saved, you're deceiving yourself. You, you, can't, you can't live a lifestyle. I'm not saying that, oh, I slip, I, I'm not saying that trying to bring condemnation on you or anything like that. But what I'm saying is if you practice, make a practice, meaning that every day you wake up, you make a practice of this lifestyle, you're fooling yourself and deceiving yourself to say that you're saved because you're not. Because a person that is truly saved can't go on living a lifestyle of the things that we just read. It's impossible. Because it says what? You will not inherit the kingdom. You'll stand before. But God, God, I did these things in your name. Depart from me. I never knew you. What, what does that mean? That means there was a willful disobedience in your heart that says, even though I read Galatians, I still did what I wanted to do. I still lived how I wanted to do. But I thought you would just love me and forgive me at the last minute. Don't work that way. I remember before I got saved, we, uh, I come from a, it was a significantly, significantly large church. So when I went to church, I didn't just sit in the back. I went to the top and sat in the back. So it's like a 6,000 seat uh, sanctuary. So I would sit at the top at the back because I didn't want to sit too close. I didn't want people asking me questions. I didn't want, because I know if I got too close, then the youth would try, hey, man, you need to come down. I don't want to do all that. I just want to come to church. Just let me come to church and let me walk out the door when it's over with. But the funny thing was, every Sunday I would go, I would always ask myself in the middle of the message this question, how does Pastor Larry know that I'm here today? <laughs> because every Sunday he would preach, it would convict my heart to the core. And I would be like, how does he, he's talking, he must, my mama must be telling him what's going on in my life. Because there is no way this man could be preaching this stuff Sunday after Sunday, and it could convict my heart like this. And so maybe I just need to sit a little further back so, and come a little later so maybe he doesn't see me walk in. But my heart would be convicted to the core every time I walked in. And he had no clue I was there. But it was the Holy Spirit convicted me to show me, hey, there's willful disobedience in your heart, son. So much so that the Lord was trying to get my attention. I remember one Sunday specifically that there was a gentleman sitting before me, and I know he never saw me because I know because I came around the back and sat behind him. So, so I knew he never saw me. But there was always a point in the message where Pastor Larry would always say this. That was during the, the, uh, the salvation call. He would always say, now, I don't want to leave anybody out. Look to your neighbor and ask them, do you want me to walk down to the front with you to get saved? This man, without turning around, got out of his seat, walked around, came all the way around me, came to me, put his arm around me, and said, God just spoke to me and told me that he would like for me to walk down to the altar with you to get saved. And I'm sitting there stunned, like, what in the world <laughs> is going on? How does this man know? And my heart is beating out of my chest, but it beat out of my chest every Sunday because I knew I needed to go down there and get saved. But I looked that man dead in the eye and said, I'm okay. And he said, I'm sure I heard the Lord speak to me. And I was like, he did. <laughs> I was like, I know, I'm thinking to myself, I know the Lord spoke to you because I, I need to go down there. <laughs> and he was like, are you sure? And I'm like, no, I'm good. And he kind of looked like disappointed, like, man, like he was like, I, I wish I would have known who the gentleman was later because like, you were right, sir. The Lord did speak to you. But I told him no. And so he just went right back to his seat. So what I was saying was that, this is what I was saying. 
even though the gospel message, I knew it was true. I knew what it, what it was, what I needed. I knew I needed to repent of my sin. What I chose was to walk in willful disobedience. I said, I choose to walk in willful disobedience, even though the gospel message is clear, even though I need to repent of my sins, even though I know if I were to die right now, I am not right with God. I choose willful disobedience. I choose those things we talked about in Galatians 5. That's willful disobedience. You come to church every Sunday and don't make changes in your life. That's willful disobedience. When you know God is speaking to your heart and you say, I can't make the change, that's willful disobedience. And I said, you know what? And for years, I would live in torment of not repenting and not surrendering my life to God. All the time I'm knowing, man, what he's saying is true. I can't deny that it's not true. But I chose willful disobedience. How do you bring willful disobedience to the light? Because all these topics we're going to talk about today is we got to bring it to the light. We got to bring it to the light. How do you bring willful disobedience to the light? It's by repentance. You bring willful disobedience into the light by repentance. You have to repent of all sin and turn away from the lifestyle that you live. That's how you bring willful disobedience. You just say, God, I bring it all to you. All my sin, all my disobedience, I bring it all to you. I lay it down right here. And not only do I lay it down, but the lifestyle I used to live, I turn away from that as well. The friendships that I used to have, I turn away from there. The places I used to go, I turn away from that. The things I used to do, the words I used to say, I turn away my lifestyle from all those things that lead to willful disobedience, and I repent of it. That's how you bring it to the light. But until you get to the point where you can bring it to the light in that way, you always walk in willful disobedience in some areas of your life. Some areas you might say, oh, I'm good there, but what about this areas? Bring it to the light. We have to bring willful disobedience to the light. That's the first thing. Second thing we bring to the light. What else we bring to the light? We bring guilt. We bring guilt to the light. You remain guilty because you're trying to cover up something that needs to be brought into the light. Why do you feel guilt on the inside? Because you know something inside of you that you hold holding on to, you need to bring to the light. And the more you hold on to it, the more it eats you up. Guilt is that one thing that you're afraid to bring to the light because of the consequences of your decisions. In the end, the guilt will take you out and you can't take the stuff to the grave. You need to bring it to the light. You know, some people say, you just need to take that to the grave with you. Don't tell, no, 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 that's guilt. You need to bring it to the light. You know, some, that's what deathbeds are for. I'll say everything I need to say on my deathbed. It might be too late. How do you know you're going to get there? Just like me, when I, why, so why did I choose willful disobedience? Because most like everybody else, I'm young. I want to have fun when I get old. Getting saved, that's for old people. That's when you're like 90 and 80, and you're in, you know. But until you're up until that point, you just do what you want to do. And then at the end of your life, then you, because you want to have fun. That's what I did. But holding on to that stuff will bring guilt. The more sin that you create in your life and the more things that you do that you hold on to and keep on the inside, it just builds up the guilt on the inside of you. There's a mighty man of God that I know that, and this is the thing with guilt too, some people think that you could just repent of guilt and you'd be good. It doesn't stop there. I'm going to tell you why. There's a mighty man of God that I know that when he got saved, like for real he got saved, he's like, Lord, I thank you. I repented of all of my sins to you. I've got everything out in the light. And the Lord told him, good, now go tell your wife all the things that you've done. Well, I can't do that, God. 
I, 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 can't, I, can't, I can't do that because if I tell her, she's going to leave me. And he said he struggled with that. He was like, I can't tell her. And then he eventually, he told her everything that he'd done, the, all the stepping out on her, all the things that he'd done. And she looked at him. She was obviously upset. But she said, the Lord had already showed me that, and I forgive you. And they have a beautiful marriage and a beautiful ministry. And they have a beautiful marriage ministry where they help so many married couples. But what he was saying is, that I, even though I repented of my sin, there's still consequences for my sin and my guilt that I still need to bring to the light. So it don't just stop with repentance to God, because some people say, I just repent to God. I'm good. Yes, that's good. That's the first step. The second step is, if there's anyone else that's affected by your sin and the things that you're holding on to, you need to bring that to the light as well. I remember when I got saved, I wasn't married at the time, but my mom was saved. I just remember sitting at the table with my mom and telling her everything that I'd done. And she was sitting there shocked about the fallout of a seat. Like, I can't believe my son was doing all this stuff, but she had been praying for me to get saved. And it was as much as it was cringeworthy for her to hear the stuff that I was saying, she was relieved that I'm out of that lifestyle now. But for me, it brought so much healing that I didn't care who, I didn't care who knew what I did. I was like, I'm just trying to get this stuff off my chest. I just want to be free from all this because this holding on to this guilt, man, this is, this is killing me. Because the crazy thing is you walk around your life trying to think, think that nobody knows what you're doing, trying to be sneaky, but everybody knows what you're doing. I'm trying to walk around like I don't drink and do things like that, but everybody knows. Oh, he had a little something today. I could tell. And it's like, but everybody knows. But what it is is you're trapped in your own body as a prisoner of yourself because of the guilt that's inside of you. That is a miserable way to live. And I know because I lived like that for years. And it was tormenting me, and it was going to take me out because I held on to that guilt. So how do you bring guilt into the light? Before we get to that, I want to share one more story and one more example about guilt. You can't go to enough church services. You can't pray enough. You can't worship enough. You can't serve enough. You can't go to uh, worship conferences, all these conferences. You, you can't go to life. You can go do all these things. They will never erase the guilt inside of your heart until you bring it to the light. Some people think if I just go to church more, then it'll, it'll ease my conscience. No, it won't. It's just going to make it grow stronger because you get more convicted the longer that you go. And there was a gentleman in our church, and he would show up early to serve. And not just serve, this man was working hard. He was working just as hard as me, and I'm like, I'm on staff. And he's working just as hard. What, what in the world is going on? And I mean, Sunday after Sunday, he would show up, and he was working hard showing up early, staying late. But then after a while, it's like, man, something, there's a little bit more to this story than this going on. Like, something is going on on the inside of him. Because you could just tell something wasn't right. And sure enough, later, one week, uh, one of the guys at the church says, hey, man, uh, I was looking in the paper, and I saw such and such. He got arrested for this. So the whole time that he was doing all that serving, he had committed a crime that he knew that he did that he was running from. So the police were looking for him, he was try but he was trying to escape by maybe if I just serve the guilt that I feel on the inside, maybe God will forgive me. It, it doesn't work like that. You got to bring it to the light. Any crimes, like, I don't, I, I don't know, like you said, well, I got saved. That's in my past. Yeah, but if there's anything inside of your past that you need to bring to the light, you need to get all that stuff in the light. 
So even though he was saved and he thought that I repented to God, no, what you need to do is repent to the police and tell them what you did and turn yourself in. Because that's the only way that guilt was going to get out, off of him. But it's like, no, you need to bring it to the light. So how do we bring guilt into the light? It's by confessing. We bring guilt into the light by confessing. Confessing all of our guilt to God and anyone else that is affected by our sin. Like I mentioned that gentleman, he confessed to God that it, all of his sin, but then he had to go back into his wife and say, this is what I've done against you. So if there's other people in your lives that are affected by your sin that you've done against them, honey, husband, whatever, I need to repent of this. I need to let you know the things that I've done because I need to confess and get this guilt off of me. But what about the consequences? Well, hey, pray to the Lord that he can restore because he can. I've seen so many, and most times it's not as bad as you think it is because most of the time they already know. They just want you to tell the truth. And God is like, bring it to the light. You confess, amen? So the first thing we need to bring to the light, willful disobedience. Second thing we bring to the light is guilt. Third thing we bring to the light is shame. We bring shame to the light. People that walk with shame have a heaviness about them. The shame of what happened to you or things that have been done to you, and it brings shame and a heaviness that you can't get free from. I, it breaks my heart to see people walk in shame. And it's just, they just walk with the heaviness about them. And people that walk in shame, what they really need is inner healing. They need inner healing for the things that they've done and also the things that have been done to them. Because sometimes people feel a sense of shame for the things that have been done to them. And they hold on to the transgressions of the sins that people have committed against them. And they feel shameful for the things that, and it's not even their fault, but they hold on to that shame. And it eats them up and all they need is inner healing. And just admitting that you hurt is half the battle with shame. It's just saying, I just need to confess that I'm dealing with this and I'm hurting. That's half the battle right there is just admitting that there's shame or there's inner healing that's going on. There's a couple that I know that when they, I believe, I, don't, I can't remember if they were, if this was before they got married or after they got married. I can't remember that part of the story. But anyway, they had an abortion. And they had an abortion and for years had gone by and they didn't really think anything of it because they, at the time they felt, hey, our lives are not in a place where we could support a child and we're still trying to grow in our professions and in our lives, so they decided to have an abortion. And our church, we used to do these huge abortion rallies, uh, as we used to be called Heartbeat. And our pastor used to lead these big abortion rallies, and they attended one. And what they would set up was mock uh, memorial plaques of all the babies that have been uh, murdered in Louisiana from abortion. And they attended this one, and they said they both knelt down in front of one. And this was the first time that both of them really just repented of the shame that they felt in their heart for having that abortion. And they said for hours they wept right there at the uh, outreach for the shame that they felt for the decision that they made years ago. And they said it was an inner healing that they needed just to get rid of the shame that they had been carrying on for years. But the crazy part was they said, in a way, they didn't even realize that the shame was still there. But when it was brought back to their attention, that shame hit them, and they released it in that moment, and they received inner healing. And now they have an abortion ministry where they take care. They go to abortion clinics, and they minister to women, and they've saved I don't know how many hundreds of, of, of babies' lives 
just by their, their ministry that they do. But shame is something that it affects all of us. All of us in some way from past decisions that we made, current decisions that we made. But also, you know, shame can affect parents. You know, parents can feel like, man, if I would have raised my kids a little bit better, maybe their life would have turned out a little different. And they hold on to the shame of things that happen to their, of the way that they raise their kids. And there's so many stories I know of parents that hold on to the shame of their kids. And then what happens is they begin to make excuses for their kid, children's behavior because they're like, well, maybe they, if I would have raised them better, they would have made better decisions. So that's why they're making these tough decisions because I wasn't there for them. And then they make all these decisions, these excuses for their behavior, all because it's really fueled by the shame of the decisions that they made years ago. But we all need to get free from that. Maybe it's a child with a parent. Like, maybe if I would have treated my parents better, maybe our relationship would a little bit, be a little bit better than it is now. Maybe if I would have treated my husband or my spouse a little bit different, maybe things would have came a little bit better. But we all hold on to shame. And y'all know Shaq, that basketball player Shaq? Recently, he's been talking a lot about his uh, divorce. And the reason that he got the divorce is because he said he was a serial cheater. And he said that, and he's been talking about this lately a lot. And, and they have this big scandal going on with the Boston Celtics coach, and they asked Shaq, Shaq, what do you think about it? And he's like, well, it'll be hypocritical of me to come on here and tell that man what he should do when I was a serial cheater in my life. And he said, when I look back on it, it was the worst decision that I ever made in my life because the happiest moments of my life was when I would come home and I would hear my kids' feet walking down the hall screaming, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. He's like, I built this big 75,000-square-foot mansion house in Orlando with a full-size gym and a pool and all these things for the kids. But then, because of my decisions, I was in that big house empty because my wife had left me. And, he was, and you can see the shame and the heaviness on him while he's telling this story. And he says, I'm telling you, it's not worth it. But now it's too late because she's remarried. His kids are grown. And he was like, for that season of his life, he missed out on so many valuable moments with his kids. But now he has a great relationship with his kids now that they're older. But back then when they were younger, he missed out on so many years because of the heaviness and the shame. that. He, and you can feel it now. He's wearing that heaviness and shame that is like, and he's like, I don't know what to do. He, he didn't say I didn't know what to do, but you could tell he's like, I don't know what to do with this. He needs to bring it to Jesus. That's what he needs to do. He needs freedom from that. He needs inner healing from that. So how do you bring shame to the light? It's by forgiving yourself and others that have sinned against you. You bring shame to the light by first forgiving yourself, because some people need to forgive themselves. They haven't forgiven themselves for things that they've done currently or in the past. They just walk around with that shame because I can never forgive myself for this. Yes, you can. You need to forgive yourself, but also forgiving others that have sinned against you as well. That's what the Bible says. It's like, uh, that, that's what uh, the Lord's Prayer is like, forgive those who trespass against us. And it's like, it's a, as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's like, what is it? Forgiving others. We need to constantly forgive others to bring healing and deliverance for the shame and bring it to the light. Amen. So we bring willful disobedience to the light. We bring guilt to the light. We bring shame to the light. And the fourth and last thing that we bring to the light is condemnation. Condemnation. You const condemnation is this. is when you constantly beat yourself up over every little thing that you do. 
Every little thing that you do wrong, you beat yourself up. I can't believe I did this. I'm so stupid. I can't, man, I, it's, I don't know what's wrong with me. Why can't I just get it right? You beat yourself up over every little thing. That's condemnation. No matter how hard you try, you're always trying to find a way to talk down on yourself, which brings condemnation. If somebody tries to give you a compliment, oh, you look great. Yeah, but I just don't, I don't feel like I look, I'm not hair. This is just something wrong with my hair. It's like, well, your, your, your clothes look nice. Yeah, but I just need to lose a little weight. If I just, I feel better about myself. And I, it's like, but you, no matter how much people try to encourage you, you always find a way to bring yourself down and speak negatively about yourself. You know, condemnation has a lot to do with your self-talk. What are the words that you're speaking over yourself? Because there's life and death in the power of the what? The tongue. So people that battle with condemnation have a negative self-talk about themselves. And because so, they can never get free from condemnation. They're always bound by it because they never speak words of life over themselves. So anytime something bad goes, see, there I go again. I try, no matter how hard I try, I try to get it right. I can never get it right. I'm always messing things up. But we're like that. We criticize, we're our biggest critic. Now, some people are not their biggest critic. They don't think they do anything wrong. But for some people, condemnation is a big thing that they deal with. It's like you talk to them and they just constantly, it's like, well, why are you so hard on yourself? Is God that hard on you? Are you putting those demands on yourself? That's part of your self-talk. Victory is in the Lord. But a person walking in condemnation feels like victories is theirs to conquer. They feel like, oh, if I could just try a little harder, then I can overcome this. No, no, no. Victory is in the Lord. I'll read it for you. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 2. It says, so, there, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So if you're in Christ Jesus, there's what? There's no condemnation. Guess what? That means that victory over condemnation is found in the Lord. But until you get to that place where you realize that the victory over condemnation comes from the Lord, you'll never walk in it because you always try to find victory in yourself. Maybe if I just study and make myself smarter, then I could just be better. Or I can put myself in a better position if I, and you try to do everything in your own strength and try to conquer it in your own will. It's not going to work. It's going to tire you out. Victory is the Lord. You bring condemnation to the light by receiving God's love and grace to overcome condemnation. You receive his love and his grace because God would never sit there and tell you every negative thing about you. What he would do was speak words. Of, now, he will correct you, but he will speak words of life over you and tell you the thoughts that he has towards you. So many times we go by, what are the words that I think towards me? We didn't say, no, God, let me find out what you have to say about me. And that way I'll know who I am based on the words that you speak to me. Because the words that he speaks to you, that's the words you need to live by. Who he says you are, that's who you need to say. That, oh, if God says who, that's who I am, that's who I am. But you have to put yourself in a position to receive his love and his grace to allow him to speak to you to get those words. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, it says, The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. A person in battle and condemnation, they don't know how to get up. They just stay down. 
Because, again, they're trying to do it in their own strength. But it says the godly may trip seven times, but they get up again. Why? Because they know that their strength comes from the Lord. So even if the enemy tries to come and lie to me and say, you can never get it right, that's okay. Guess what? I'm going to keep moving ahead. I may have fell down this seventh time, but guess what? I'm going to get up again, and I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm not going back. I'm not standing still. I'm moving forward because I know that victory comes from the Lord. He has a hope and a future for me, and guess what? I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm not going to let these condemnation, the, the, the condemnation that I feel on myself hold me back. I'm going to move forward, and I'm going to get up again. But if you don't know that, you stay in condemnation, and you'll never move forward. You'll shrink back. Victory comes from the Lord. Come on, y'all say that. Victory comes from the Lord. Also by condemnation. A person that walks in condemnation doesn't know how to get up, but also that anytime you're following Christ and it becomes a demand to you, that's religion. And religion doesn't lead to freedom because condemnation is never satisfied. So condemnation could be also a form of religion, meaning that you, you feel like you have to work harder to do better. And when you mess up, you, you feel that condemnation because, like, man, if I work a little, that's works. That's a works mentality. That's a religious mindset. If I just go to church a little bit more, that's a works mentality. All you have to do is receive God's love and his grace and just keep moving forward. Receive his love and his grace and keep moving forward. It's not about works. Works is religion. It tires you out. It burns you out. You're going to be like, man, this is some hard work. Yeah, it's hard because you're trying to do it in your own strength. But when you take, it says, my yoke is easy and my burden is what? It's light. When you follow him, it's not to say that bad things or troubles or tribulations won't come. But what the will says, I know that I can overcome them because I know who's with me. I know and I can keep moving forward. Because I've received his love and his grace. All four of these things that we talked about, repentance, surrender, forgiveness, love and grace, all these things that when we bring to the light, we receive them. All these things represent Jesus. They all represent Jesus. In order to walk in all four of these areas, you have to follow him. When you follow Jesus, repentance, surrender, forgiveness, his love and grace, they will follow you as you follow him. And it's like kind of like this, this synchronized thing that goes on that you're constantly in this cycle of these four things because you're following him. But as soon as you stop following him, guess what? You step out of these things and you're back in the darkness. But as long as you stay in the light and as long as you follow him, all these things are accessible to you. Amen? You know, Jesus could have made it where he commanded and demanded all of us just to follow him. Like as soon as we were born, immediately we follow Jesus. But he gives us what? Free will. All of us have free will to make a decision whether we choose to follow God or not. And guess what? Whether you choose to follow God or not, guess what? There's grace for both people. Isn't that crazy? Whether you choose to follow God or not, there's grace for both of you. There's grace to keep moving forward if you follow him. And if you say you don't want to, there's grace to say at one point you can get it right. But be careful if you don't choose to follow him because you don't know when that grace will run out. That's the scary part. You don't know. No man knows the day or the hour. It will be, it, I don't think I would want to know that when I would, the day and hour, I don't think I would want to know. But 
Nobody knows when they're going to stand before God. Don't allow his grace to run out on you and take advantage of it, saying, I have time. You don't know if you have time. You don't know. And that's not to bring fear. That's just to bring awareness of the severity and the seriousness of a commitment to follow Christ. Because remember, we read in Galatians, no person living that lifestyle will inherit the kingdom of God. But all of us want to say, I want to make it into heaven. How many of you want to make it to heaven? I know I do. And I want to see all of you there. I saw this video the other day where it was like, when you see your homeboy in heaven, and he saw his friend, and they, boy, they were laughing and hugging and high-fiving and just cutting up because they saw each other in heaven. I said, boy, that's going to be a great feeling when you see your family members and loved ones and church members and life group members, and you see, when you get to heaven, we see all, boy, what a celebration that's going to be. I don't want to miss out on that. I don't want to miss out on seeing my mom again. How many loved ones that you have that just gone before you that you say, I can't wait to see them again? Don't miss out on that by following the world's culture. Because it seems like it's fun for a little while, but it always ends in death. But Jesus has a way. I'm reminded of our scripture again, Mark chapter 11, verse 22. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must truly believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. So this morning we say to the mountain of sin, be cast into the sea, and it will happen. But you must truly believe that it will happen. And we truly believe this morning. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. The mountain of sin. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you right now for the word that went forth today. I thank you that you're speaking clearly to our hearts, Lord God, that there's, there's no gray area, there's no confusion. I pray that the word was clear today, that it spoke clearly and directly to our hearts. And I thank you that in this moment that we all can speak to that mountain of sin, of those areas in our heart that have, may have cost us down the, the, the sin of willful disobedience, the sin of guilt, the sin of shame, the sin of condemnation, that all those things, we can speak to those mountains and command them to be cast into the sea. I thank you right now for healing and deliverance, for freedom that's coming to your people under the sound of my voice this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. I just want to give one final invitation. That's for anyone that, after hearing that word, you realize, man, I am not in relationship with God at all. Or maybe I follow God, but I strayed away, but I want to come back to him because I don't want to be in a relationship or live this life another second without following God, without knowing for sure that he is in my heart. You watching online, you want to make sure that you're in right relationship with God, I want to pray with you as well. So in the room with no one looking around, if you want to make a decision to come to Christ and to receive him as your Lord and Savior, I want to pray with you. But I'm just asking you to do this one thing. Just lift your hand in the air just to acknowledge to God. God, I want to follow you. If that's you in the room, you want to receive Lord in your, the Lord in your heart, just lift your hand in this moment. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I just ask everyone just to place their hand over their heart and just repeat this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for moving this, the mountain of sin out of my life. I repent of all of my sin, and I lay it down here at your feet. And in return, 
I receive your forgiveness. I receive your love. I receive your mercy. And I receive your grace. And I thank you that you give me the strength and the power that only you can give to pursue you all the days of my life, to overcome every obstacle, every temptation, and every lie of the enemy. I promise I will follow you and serve you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, y'all give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Amen. Speak to that mountain of sin and command it to move. But if you made that decision to follow Christ, there's one or two things I want you to do. Uh, in the seat back in front of you, there is a card that says, let's connect. Uh, you can fill it out, turn it on the back. It says, I made a decision, fill it out, drop it in the offering bucket. We'd love for you to drop that in so we can pray with you during the week, call out to you, reach out to you, see what the Lord did in your heart in this moment. But also if you're online, uh, let us know in the comment section that you made a decision to follow Christ. We love to follow up with you as well and pray with you throughout the week. Uh, but let's give it up one more time for those that made a decision to follow Christ. Come on, that's week two of Move That Mountain. But before we close, uh, those online, a few announcements. Man, a great way to make sure that you stay in the light and that you bring things into the light is get connected to a life group. And good thing for you is life groups are again this Wednesday at 630. So we have our next life group uh, gathering this Wednesday at 630. We'll come together at 630. We'll share a meal together. And then we'll break off into our groups. We'll break off into men's groups. We'll break off into ladies' groups, young adult groups. And we even have groups with our kids. So we'll break off into those groups. We share a meal. I'm telling you, you want to bring things into the light. You want to make sure that your walk with the Lord is right. Get it, get it connected to a life group, a small group. We have those options available for you here. Again, this Wednesday at 6.30, we do them first Wednesday of each month. So this is the first Wednesday of October. So we will meet this Wednesday, 6.30 here at the church. Also, another great way to make sure that maybe from this message or previous messages in the past that you've recently got saved, a great way to, uh, to memorialize or to just to celebrate this decision is water baptism. At the end of the month, uh, October 30th, that's a Sunday, we have water baptism. You can sign up in the back. You can go online. You can reach out to us for more information. But October 30th is our next water baptism. And I would encourage you, man, get baptized. Get water baptized. Because coming to salvation, it says, Jesus, I need you as Savior. But when you get water baptized, that says, Jesus, now you're Lord. Meaning that you're leading my life. I'll follow in you. And that's that next step. And I would encourage you, make that next step. Get water baptized. And lastly, this is the first month of the, the first Sunday of the month of October. So we always bless the tithe and pray for the tithe for that month. So this is the month of October. So if you prepare to give online, there's a couple ways that you could do that. You could give on our app. You could give on our website, which is uh, newlifemobile.org, or you could go to our Facebook page, get the address and mail in a check for money order. But before we dismiss with you guys online, let's pray for the tithe for the month of October, and then you guys are dismissed. Lord, I thank you right now for your people. I pray that you bless them, Lord God, above and beyond they can ever comprehend or imagine. I thank you right now that we have more than enough, all that we need. And Lord, I thank you for the tithe for the month 
of October. I pray that this will be the best month financially that we all ever had, Lord God. I thank you right now, Lord God, that you're blessing us above and beyond we can comprehend or imagine. Bless each and every household, each and every person that's represented here today, Lord God. Bless the tithe for the month of October. Stretch it, grow it, increase it, and let us be a blessing to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in with us. We love to invite you again. Life groups this Sunday, I'm sorry, this Wednesday at 630, but also church next Sunday at 10 o'clock. Have a great week. We love you guys. Y'all have a great day. Amen.